Well, I know that so many in our church and in our community have heard about and grieved and prayed for West Freeway Church after last week's shooting. Now, I'm here with our West Fort Worth campus minister, Jeremy Glover. Jeremy, I know that the West Freeway building is only about a block from our old West Fort Worth location uh, that we were in just this last fall. Um, so just tell us a little bit about what this last week has been like. And you know, it's it's always tragic and shocking when one of these things happens, um, but uh, it changes things when you know the people involved, when you have connections there. And so I knew on Sunday when I got up in our second service and, and shared what had happened and prayed about what had happened, that I was speaking to people whose loved ones were in that room when the shooting happened, who didn't know whether they were okay or, or any of the details. Um, and so that certainly changes the dynamic and it's been a, it's been a tough few days and I've just been on the periphery. I can't imagine what it's been like for the people who have been in the midst of all of this. I know that there's been, been opportunity for, for the Hills Mm -hmm. to be able to serve. Tell us a little bit about kind of what's taken place this week. Well, you know, uh, on Sunday, I wanted to just, um, come alongside in any way that we, that we could, um, and really just be available. And so honestly had no idea what that would look like. Um, but thankfully we were able to make contact with some of the leaders there and just express that we're here to help. We'll do whatever you need. Um, and so that's played itself out in a, in a few ways. Um, there was a prayer vigil on Monday night for the community. And so we had the opportunity to help just with some of the logistical coordination of that and uh, even taking some sound equipment and just being a part of, of helping uh, start the healing process for that community um, and just being available to, to pray with people and be, be present um, as needs arise is, is really what we've tried to do. And that's played itself out in, in several different ways. Yeah. Well, you know, hearing you talk a little bit about um, the the prayer vigil, I know that there's so many who are watching this and just asking, what are the best ways that we can be praying for uh, this community and for the West Freeway Church? Yeah, you know, one of the things I've been so um, blessed by and proud of is the way uh, that the folks that I've, I've been around from West Freeway have just said evil has not won. And we know that to be true as followers of Jesus, right? But to see them proclaim that with such boldness and courage um, in the days following something so tragic has been really inspiring for me. Um, And so I've been praying for them in that, that they would have strength and courage and boldness to be able to just walk that out well. Um, I've been praying um, for, of course, the the families who lost loved ones. Two really good men died um, last Sunday. And, and those families, one of the funerals is even today, and those families are grieving. And so praying with them for God's comfort and peace in, in all of that. And then I would, I would say pray for the leaders of this church. Britt Farmer is the preacher there. I've gotten to spend some time with him these past couple of days. I've been so impressed uh, by his leadership and his resolve, his courage. Um, the elders there, I've gotten to know several of them and have been really, really impressed with them as well. But I can't imagine how hard it would be to simultaneously be grieving the loss of, of people that you care about deeply and also trying to lead with boldness and courage and vision. And so uh, I know they, they need and appreciate our prayers. Um, and then I'd say the Las Vegas Trail community. You know, it is a, it, it is a tough place. 
And we've been praying for some time for God's restoration in that community. And so continue to pray with us for that, that this um, would, would, wouldn't set that back, but would just uh, that that community would continue to take steps toward healing and restoration. One songwriter in the Bible wrote these words. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's Psalm 34, verse 18. And that, that verse has been a reminder this week. That verse tells me that God is very close to a lot of people in our community right now, and especially to uh, the West Freeway Church of Christ and to all the families who are connected to that congregation. And what I want to do is just before our message, before we open God's word today, I, I want to stop down and I just want to pray that verse over the West Freeway Church family and, and over our community. So would you bow your heads with me? God, we grieve with our city. We ask you for mercy and for healing. For the families who have lost loved ones, comfort them as only you can. I pray for any families inside of our church who have families connected to West Freeway, who are grieving and mourning through this process, would you, would you meet them in their grief? For the West Freeway congregation, God, I, I ask, would you help, help that church family feel your presence and experience your peace? For Britt Farmer and the West Freeway elders, we pray for strength from your Holy Spirit as they lead and as they grieve. And for a world in need of ultimate healing, we pray, come Lord Jesus, and put an end to evil and wipe every tear from every eye. We pray in the midst of our hurt, but also as those who have hope in you. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Kings 19. It's going to be an Old Testament passage to kick off this new year. I have uh, been just thinking about kicking off the year and excited to, to do that, even in the midst of what has taken place this last week. And so if you are live at one of our campuses or you're joining us online, thanks for being with us. My name's Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here. And, you know, I was thinking about this message. It's entitled, God's Call for Your Life. I recognize that may not be language that you're familiar with or language that you would necessarily use about yourself, but I do believe that God has a call for your life. I don't believe it's an accident that you are hearing my voice and whether you are live in person or watching online and you said, you know what, it's the new year and we're going we're gonna to come to church, like I'm glad that you're here. And I believe God has intentions for you this year, maybe even beyond your new year's resolutions, your hopes or dreams for this decade. And as we talk about this, it's so important, important to understand our purpose and that God has a purpose for each one of us because if we don't live from our purpose, inadvertently we will live from our pain. And so as we wrestle with this, as we talk about this, in today's text there are three main players. The first is God. And the second is God's prophet named Elijah. And the third is a farmer named Elisha. Now, right off the bat, there's some potential for confusion. It'd be like in English if we had a story about Ron and Don. So we've got Elijah with a J, and we have Elisha with an S-H. So if you hear me mix up Elijah the prophet and Elisha the farmer, just give me a little grace, okay? And even as I 
introduce this. I recognize if you're if you're newer, I'm really glad that you're with us. You may you may hear this already and be like, man, this this already seems a little bit weird. Got some names I'm less familiar with, and I get that. We're about to look at a story that's about an Israelite farmer in the Middle East thousands of years ago. And for somebody who just got a brand new smartphone or a Nintendo Switch for Christmas, like this may seem completely irrelevant. But I believe that the truth God has put in this moment in history and in this text has the potential to change your life and change your year. So having said that, 1 Kings 19, we're going to start in verse 19. So Elijah the prophet went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Now, to us, that doesn't sound very impressive. To an Israelite, hearing this story, immediately they would know a few things about Elisha, the farmer. He's not just some farmer, he's a very successful man. Because oxen, back in the day, doing a little cultural translation, oxen, economically speaking, would kind of be like cars. Most families and individuals might have one or two. Elisha is working with 24 of them. The text tells us he's working the 12th, he's driving the 12th pair Again, seems insignificant. What that likely means is that he is in the back row watching the other 11 pairs who are likely being worked and driven by 11 employees who work for him. So we have a very successful businessman who is the boss and he's got some land and he's got some equipment and he has some oxen and he is set. He's the kind of person that many people would look up to in his community as somebody who is revered and successful, and that's the kind of life I wish I had. Man, if I had that gig, if I owned that much, if I made that much, that's Elisha, the farmer. Now, Elijah, the prophet, walks up to him. The text says that Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Again, at first reading, for us, pretty weird. Like, if you were in a restaurant with some friends, and like, at this point, Elijah the prophet is getting a little bit older, so if some random old guy walks over, drops his coat on your shoulders, and is like, follow me, and just like, you know, like, you're like, where's the manager? Something's wrong here. Like, it's just weird. But, again, for an Israelite, watching this moment, they would have immediately understood the significance there's something culturally that's taking place. Because again, if you were, if you were in that restaurant with your friends acro- and across the dining room, it wasn't an old man, but a young man who got down on one knee with a little box and a gemstone on a ring inside for a young lady, you don't need to be, you don't need an explanation. You know what's happening. And there's something significant in the moment of a proposal that we culturally understand. So in this moment, what Elijah does is he puts his cloak on Elisha the farmer. His cloak, sometimes it's translated as a mantle, the cloak of the prophet of God was a symbol of the role of a prophet. So when Elijah takes his cloak and puts it over Elisha the farmer, this is a culturally significant moment that says Elisha the farmer has now been chosen as the prophet's replacement. That he will follow Elijah in the role of the prophet of God. Now, Elisha immediately understands the significance. 
Because he knows who Elijah the prophet is. Elijah is a known entity in Israel. So when he puts his mantle on Elisha, look at how the farmer responds. Elisha left his oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, then I will go with you. Now, for any of you who have heard some of the, uh, read some of the Gospels, know a little bit about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, this may sound familiar. There's a moment in the Gospels when Jesus is traveling and different people are saying they're, going, they're willing to go with him and follow him. As a, as a, he was a homeless rabbi. And so they were, there were people who said, I'll, I'll follow you, I'll go with you. And one individual says something very similar to this. He says, I'll, I'll go with you, just, just let me go back and, and say goodbye to my family. Let me go, go back and take care of a couple of things at home. And Jesus calls out that would-be follower as somebody who's really got a bunch of excuses and a stall tactic and doesn't really want to commit. So if we know those stories, then it's possible that we might look at this and go, okay, so, so is Elisha the farmer actually taking this seriously or is he, is he putting things off? We're not left to know just yet. So the prophet Elijah responds and he replies, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So that's what I want to do. I want us to put ourselves in the place of Elisha the farmer. I want us to think about the significance of this. Because for each one of us, God has a call for your life. These calls may not all be the same, but the point is we should wrestle with this idea of what does God desire for my life this year, this decade? What is he inviting me into? And as we think about this, I want to wrestle with some of the things that Elisha likely would would have had to work through as he's thinking about this mantle that's been placed upon him, the significance of what this means. Because even though it's the prophet's cloak, it's God's call. And so, if you're taking notes, here's one of the things I, I think we have to wrestle with as we think about God's call on our lives. First is this. It may seem obvious, but it's a very important starting place. God knows my name. See, in this story, earlier in 1 Kings 19, the first person to speak Elisha the farmer's name is not Elijah the prophet. It's not a big deal that God's prophet showed up. It's a big deal that God sends him. Earlier in the chapter, it's God who says to Elijah the prophet, anoint Elisha to replace you as my prophet. Now think about this for just a moment. Elisha is out in his field. He is working. He's working through his routine. He's running his business. He's, he's, he's ma- managing things and watching his employees. And his life dramatically changes, not when the cloak is put on his shoulders, but when God speaks his name. And he doesn't even realize it yet. There are some of you listening to me right now and it's very possible that God has spoken your name and is working something out and you don't realize it yet. Have you ever had a moment where suddenly somebody finally reaches out and they they give you that job offer you've been hoping for or something out of the blue that you did not expect and all of a sudden they start talking about how they've been thinking about this for weeks and you realize God was working behind the scenes but you were just going through your routine. It may be that in 2020, God is doing some things and has spoken your name, and yet your life has changed, but you don't realize it yet. God is calling you. God may be preparing an invitation for you, and you just may not know. But in the midst of our routine, 
God is at work. But maybe, maybe you don't relate to Elisha the farmer that way. Maybe you hear this and you wrestle because you think, man, the last year that I had, I felt, I felt more forgotten. I felt invisible. I felt like, I felt like the, the things I went through made me wonder if God even cared. You know, there's, a, there's an author named Ralph Ellison who wrote a pretty famous novel called The Invisible Man. And throughout, the main character and is the narrator of the story and you never learn his name. That is the greatest point of his invisibility. No one really knows him. Now, Ellison is using this to talk about racism in the United States in his novel, but for so many of us, it's, it's possible that there's times where we feel invisible. And the best way that you could start this year is to realize and to hear God knows your name. No one is invisible to him. Yes, God knows everything, but God also knows you. Unless you discredit yourself by going, yeah, well, you know, this is true for Elisha the farmer. He's going to go become God's prophet. That's a huge deal. There's only one prophet. That's a special person. What you need to hear is that throughout all of Scripture, God knows the names of and works through and cares for people from all types of backgrounds. He knows the names of widows like Naomi and Ruth. He knows the names of liars like Jacob. He knows the names of desperate fathers like Jarius. He knows the names of barren women like Hannah. He knows the names of law enforcement like Cornelius. He knows the names of runaway victims like Hagar. He knows the names of murderers like Moses. God can work through anyone and God knows everyone, which means he knows you. You are not forgotten by him. And you don't have to take my word for it. Here's how Jesus explained it when he was teaching in Luke 12. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Friends, start start this new year hearing this. You are not worth what you make. You are not worth what people say about you. You are not worth what someone in your family or someone around you has named you or labeled you. You are worth what God says you're worth. And he knows your name. And he loves you and he cares for you. And I believe he has a call on your life. But the other thing to wrestle with is that like Elisha the farmer, this call may not be what you expect. I think part of what Elisha had to wrestle with wasn't just that God knew him, but also that God is calling me to his version of a great life. See, Elisha already had a great life by earthly standards, but we need to understand when God calls us, it's to his version of great. And God's version of great isn't measured by dollar figures. It isn't measured by the number of followers you have online. It isn't measured by plaques on the wall. It isn't measured by degrees or letters after your name. It isn't measured by our earthly standards. Here again, Jesus' invitation to what he calls a great life. Jesus says in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I heard someone paraphrase that, that life to the full as the life that is truly life. You want real life, that's life with God. Accepting his invitation, hearing and responding to his call. 
And if you have resolutions for this year, God knows them. If you have some financial goals, that's fine, and God knows them. If you have some dreams or aspirations about your relationships or about your career or about where you're planning to go to, to college or university or, or master's, whatever education level you're working towards, God knows that. And those things are probably all fine. But, but what if God looks at what we aspire to and says, eh, not bad, but not best? What if God wants more for our life than we do? Here's a way to think about it. So um, I've got a, uh, a three-year-old son. His name's Finn, and Finn loves trains. He loves trains so much that when we go to the DFW airport, as far as he is concerned, DFW airport does not exist for airplanes. It exists for the Skylink. That is the, 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 ra- the raised train that goes between the terminals. Even when we drive up, my wife and I know, when we're driving into, into the airport, uh, like, like going towards the terminal, if he sees one of the Skylink trains going by the overpass that we're going to drive under, he will point. He can't say train yet, which is adorable. So he says, choo-choo rain, choo-choo rain. He'll get so excited. We get through security and he's been on enough flights that he knows. He's like, let's do this. Let's, let's go. And he tries to drag dad to the choo-choo rain. Want to take the escalator up. He wants to get on there. Wants to ride in circles. The problem is, my son wants to go to the choo-choo rain even when we're already at the terminal we need to be at. He wants to go to the choo-choo rain even when we're already at the gate we're supposed to be at. He wants to go to the choo-choo rain even when it's time to board. And there have been some tearful moments when I have had to pull him onto the airplane. And as a dad, I know we're headed to, usually we're going to go visit family who live out of state. It's like, dude, we're going to be with like the grandparents and uncles and uh, uncles and, and aunts and like, dude, you are one of the only grandkids, so you're going to go get spoiled to death. You're going to love it. It's going to be amazing. And once you get there, you're going to have fun. But in that moment, all he wants to do is go back up and ride in circles. The dreams that we concoct for ourselves, the ways we tell ourselves we'll find meaning, if they are apart from what God is calling us to and who God says we are, our dreams are not sky high, they are skylink high. And we'll get caught in the circular dreams. Fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. I mean, it's, it's easy to set a dollar figure or a tax bracket and say, once I make it there, but the problem is you make it around that circle and all of a sudden there's a bigger goal in mind. There's more exclusive vacations. There's that other car I've been hoping for. There's all kinds of things that put us in those circles. You make romance, relationships, that goal and that initial thrill of, of falling in love and all of a sudden you get to that place where you go, man, this isn't, we don't seem as happy as those other couples anymore and then you start thinking about another option. I'm saying this not only because I've seen it play out in the world over and over again, it happens in my heart, it happens in yours. It's easy for us to get caught up in the circular dreams of this world that promise something and yet they always underdeliver and always lead to another thing we're supposed to head towards. Now hear me, I'm, I'm not saying those goals are inherently wrong, but they become, they become more than they ought to in our hearts. And then we begin to sacrifice for them. If you want to assess what's happening in your heart this year, just, just pay attention to the things that you're willing to sacrifice for. 
Because if you aspire to grow in your career, then it's pretty common people will become comfortable with sacrificing time with family or time for self-care for the longer and longer work weeks to make, to hit the numbers and to get that promotion or whatever it is. That relationship is that thing you're headed towards or maybe it's, maybe it's a certain kind of grade because you really wanted to get in that school and you're willing to sacrifice other time so you can get those extracurriculars in and have the best, the best resume and application pro, uh, possible. But that idea of what we sacrifice for is what we decide is most ultimate or gives us the most meaning is also true of God's call for our lives. Because God calls us into something that not only will be more transformative and more fulfilling than we expect, but it may cost more than we initially realize. And that is part of Elisha's wake-up call. As he hears this invitation from God, goes back to his house. Look at what Elisha the farmer does. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. All right, that's just, that's, that's, that's Bible talk for Elijah throws a barbecue. Elisha, like, like he, he, he goes all out and as Texans, we may just like, like it's hard for us to appreciate how special this was for the Israelites because we can get our hands on any kind of barbecue. You can go to the fancy places where you stay in line too long. You can go to the, 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 the chains where you kind of work through and you lower your standards a little bit. You can go to the drive through places. You can go all over. Okay. But here's the deal for Israelites. This was a, an extremely rare treat. Like for, for even one bull or calf to be slaughtered, that would happen at a wedding. That would happen at, at one or two festivals inside of a year. So for a random Tuesday, there to be 24 oxen that get cut up and cooked up. Like, this was incredible. But the point is not the size of the meal. The point is that Elisha does away with his safety net. Like he could have sold the oxen and the plows and, you know, made some money, tucked it away as a little plan B in case the whole profit thing doesn't work out. But that's not what he does. Having received God's call, he does not continue to operate out of human wisdom, but out of a divine faithfulness. And says, I am all in on the call that God has placed upon my life. It's profit or bust at this point. And so he cooks his 401k. He barbecues his plan B. And he burns every bridge to that older way of life and walks away from the field. Now, we look at this and from a human standpoint, it's like, that's, that's foolish. That's crazy. That's insane. So how could he give all of this up? How could this cost him so much? Well, it's in part, I believe, because part of Elisha's realization is that God's calling for my life is about more than me. Notice that when Elisha leaves the farming life, he turns his transition into a communal celebration. But it's not just what he does as he leaves, it's what did he leave to go do? After the big barbecue and the huge celebration and being the guy who's been on top for so long, he goes with the prophet to be his assistant. He, he, he goes from being head honcho number one, and now he's in the second chair of a two-chair organization. Like, what Elisha's response says is what I am a part of is more important than the part I play. 
Elisha's response says, I'd rather be an intern with God than a CEO on my own. Elisha's response is not Elisha-centric. It was convicting this week for me to think about what are some of the goals that I have for my life? And I, I realized how me-centric my goals are. Tied to my accomplishments, my growth, my pursuits, what I want to achieve. It, it may be the same for you. It's pretty natural for us to think that way. But part of the counterintuitive, countercultural call of God on our lives is that it's going to be about more than us. And it may be that when we hear a call from God, what he does in and through us will impact many people around us and even beyond our initial circle of influence. It could impact generations. The reason I can say that and absolutely believe it is because when I hear a story about a farmer who leaves his field, I don't just think about Elisha. I think about my grandparents. I want to I show you this picture of TJ and Mildred Walling. They lived in Southern California. Now, I grew up knowing my grandma Mildred well, but I never met my grandpa, TJ. His name was Tom. He went by TJ. And... He died when my dad was in college. Well, when my grandpa was in his 20s, he, he worked as a fruit picker. He worked on an orange grove in Southern California. The orange grove was run by a man named Lee Nickerson. Lee Nickerson didn't have any sons, and so TJ became the son he never had, became the go-to for just about anything he needed. And eventually, TJ rose in the ranks to become the foreman of, of the ranch in the orange grove. Well, then my grandfather came to faith in Christ, and unexpectedly, God brought some Elijahs into his life who continued to throw the cloak and say, TJ, you have a gift. God's calling you to ministry. God wants you to be a preacher. My grandfather wrestled with this idea over and over and finally he came to a place where he, he went to Lee Nickerson and he said, I have to go. I really feel like this is what God wants me to do. And at the thought of losing someone who's been like a son to him, Lee Nickerson said, look, I love that you want to be a preacher. Just do that on the weekends. Be my foreman during the week. And to sweeten the deal, Lee Nickerson offered my grandfather to build him a brand new house on property and deed over to him seven acres of property of the working orange grove. He offered that to a 28-year-old husband and at the time father of two who had a middle school education level and basically offered him, you're going to be set for life. You will be made. And my grandfather thought about it and he turned it down and he said, I'm called to go full-time into this. There's no halfway. This week I... uh, I looked up online, roughly speaking, what seven acres of Southern California property is worth today. I almost threw up. But then I thought about the inheritance that I do have. Far greater than real estate that could get a large sum of money, my grandfather passed down to generations an inheritance that can never be taken away. 
And I'm preaching today in part because a man answered a call and walked away from the field and from a set life and said, I'm going where God's taking me. You might answer a call that could impact generations this year and you don't know it yet. God may be working to put you in a place where you say yes to him and it changes things for your community. It changes things in your workplace. It changes things in your school. I stand here as a product of someone who said yes to a call and it has had an impact for decades. What stories might God be working on in your life that some will tell years down the road. Your story, your family's story, yours, yours might be different than mine. The point is not that our calls are all exactly the same. The point is it's the same God and Savior who invites us. And he throws to every follower of Jesus the exact same cloak. I love this metaphor that gets used in the New Testament about those who have faith in Jesus and are baptized into his name. There's a follower of Jesus named Paul and he writes and says, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You and I, we have a mantle put upon us that is not of an Old Testament prophet, but it is of the perfect prophet Jesus. See, we believe in a God who didn't leave a field to go serve, but he left the throne room of heaven and took on the cloak of humanity. Fully God and fully man, he came and he, he didn't just wear the cloak of humanity, he wore our shame and took it to a cross. He bore our judgment and paid for our sin and then rose from the grave and now he offers us his cloak of righteousness, his cloak of forgiveness, his cloak of freedom and healing and hope and he knows your name and knows your sin and died for you anyway because he loves you, because he cares for you, because he has intentions for your life that may go beyond where you initially thought. It may take you outside of your comfort zone. And so for some of you, someone's listening to me right now and God is calling you to full-time ministry. Others of you, you're, you're, you're hearing me right now, God is calling you to mission work in the international field. Others of you, God is calling and, and, and for you to take up and use your trade, your skill set, and for a few months or a few years, go be a missionary specialist. Others of you, God is calling you to faithfulness inside of a marriage you thought you wanted out of. There's a student listening to me and God is calling you to reach out to that classmate you know needs a friend. God is calling you to be more like Elijah and to throw the cloak at your workplace and to finally share your faith or make an invitation that you've thought about so many times when we talk about inviting a friend and this is the year. And for others of you, Man, you've heard us talk about baptism. You've heard us talk about Jesus, about his love for you, about what he has done for you through his death, his burial, his resurrection, and yet you have never said, I believe, and you've never been baptized. This is the year to receive the cloak Jesus wants to cover you in. Our calls may not all look exactly the same, but it is the same God who invites us. 
And if we ask him, ask him this week, God, what are you calling me to? His spirit will speak. God, give us ears to hear. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your mercy and grace. We see your compassion most clearly in Jesus. But we also recognize, God, you've made us with a purpose and to live from that purpose. You've made us new in Jesus with an identity that's rooted in you, not in the things of this world. Help us to live from that. And give us ears to hear your Holy Spirit calling us. Give us ears to hear the Elijahs you bring around us who tap us on the shoulder and say, hey, I believe God wants more for your life. Hey, I believe you're gifted in this. And help us to hold the things of this world loosely so that when you invite us to something new, we're not clinging to our version of life, but we're ready to follow you. Let this year be marked not by how we accomplish our goals, but by how deeply we trust your work in and through us. And for those who have yet to say, I believe in Jesus, would you lead them to hear that call to be saved by his death, burial, and resurrection, to be made new in him, and to be covered with his righteousness? For your glory in this year, in this decade, and for eternity, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.